to talk about your dog almost too much us too which is why we created a space where we celebrate it this is for those who love the four-legged friends they rescued because they got rescued right back each week we bring on a dog mom or a dad to talk about their rescue dogs and how they change their lives this is rescue dog moms a parenting podcast i'm yamini and this is boss Hello, Rescue Dog Lovers of the internet. Welcome back to another episode of Rescue Dog Love. You can hear a little whiny baby in the background, maybe. His name is Julio, and he is a very special boy that I'm sitting right now. He loves to cry, you know, and I think this podcast uh, is all about embracing your emotions and working with them, and (laughs) why not use Julio as a big example of that? Today's guest is Jess from Handlers and Humans, a great Instagram account that focuses on personal therapy, so prioritizing the person in terms of your dog journey, dog ownership, dog training, all of those aspects, which um, as we've talked on this podcast can be really emotional. Her page is just really emblematic of the way that our priorities are changing. Um, with dog ownership. I think training and making sure your dog is happy is so amazing, but putting yourself first is one of the most underutilized tools. And it's so easy for us to get overwhelmed with our dogs and obsess about our dogs in a way that I think is unhealthy for your relationship with your dog, as well as obviously your relationship with yourself and your relationship with others, which is still an important part. Hope you enjoy the podcast. There's lots of great tips on how to put yourself in a good mindset to accept the challenges ahead of you. Jess has experienced reactivity, so we talk a lot about that as well as other, you know, behavioral concerns. And then at the very end, if you keep listening, she's going to provide a discount code for her Handlers and Humans program. It's called Coping with Canines, and we talk a lot about it at the end of the podcast as well. So stay tuned for that. If you, you know, need it for reference, it is available in the show notes as well. Thank you all for your support. I really hope this episode helps you start, you know, this end of summer, bring a new mindset to the fall. It is Virgo season. So as I say, it's time to embrace that, you know, productive mindset, but also do it in a healthy way. So I hope you guys enjoy. See you next time. Hi, Jess. Welcome to Rescue Dog Love. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Well, thank you for coming back again. I am going to be upfront with my listeners. This is our second time recording this, but we had an awesome discussion last time. So I think this one was probably going to be even better. <laughs> yeah. Second time's a charm, right? So it's good. Exactly. What I think is super interesting about your account, Handlers and Humans, is that you don't only come to talk about like dog ownership questions and dog training, but because you have a therapy background, you also prioritize the handler, I guess, the human in all of us. Before we get into more details about your account, let's talk about you as a human and a handler. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Tell me about your baby Dio. My baby Dio. Oh my gosh. To say he's my baby, like he's eight and a half now which really makes me I can't like I can't (laughs) handle that and it was actually just his gotcha day yesterday (gasps) oh Um, happy gotcha day Dio yeah eight years ago I got him so it's like I love this timing of recording this and talking about him because it's such a special week to celebrate him so he's eight and a half like I said he's a lab and pit mix the best that I can tell (laughs) basically and got him in 2014 he was six months and he is a reactive dog 
dog. We've done tons and tons of work around that. Now we're kind of in a much different place. So he's a reactive dog, dog reactive on leash primarily. You know, some of the other things that come along with that, he's had some resource guarding issues. He's had just a good handful of things for us to work through, but I'm really proud of him and proud of us because we have worked through a lot of those things. He passed his CGC, he passed his therapy dog evaluation. Although I do not work with him as a therapy dog is not a good fit for him ultimately. So we passed them, but that was really ended up being more just for us, which is great. But regardless of those things, he still is a reactive dog and we still do struggle, even though we're sort of eight years down the line from all of that. Uh, And I also have a cat named Bat, who's four, who is obsessed with Dio. Oh, oh my gosh. Their little relationship is one of my favorite things to watch in the world. Bat just loves him so much. It's like the perfect like big brother, little brother dynamic where little brother just wants to be with big brother and do everything he's doing at all times. That's our household right now. And very exciting that you're about to add two more to it. So it's going to be a full house very soon. Yes, very soon. None of us know what's about to hit us. That's That's okay. okay. That's exactly what it's uh, like to add any new member to your family. You're just going to have to go with it. Tell me a little bit about Dia's personality. So like I said, the reactivity is there and he has a lot of anxiety, which is funny because so do I, of course. And so we we get each other. in that way really (laughs) he can also have a pretty high prey drive like he can really get fixated he'll want to chase so he always needed a lot of like impulse control work and things like that but he's so sweet and so cuddly and he's that like you know stuck to your side at all times kind of guy and the thing that I I probably love the most about him is that he's down for whatever I'm super lucky in that way where if I don't feel well or the weather's bad or like anything and we don't get out for our walk he's fine about it he is happy to be couch potato dude at all times but the second you want to go on an adventure he's stoked about it and he's all all for it so he kind of matches whatever you're doing and just wants to be with you so again I know I'm really lucky to have a dog with that kind of personality but it's it's worked really really well for like our dynamic and our life together definitely I mean I think my dogs are like on that same side as well I would say like boss still needs a loves a little bit more of an energetic day Mm -hmm. together and Queenie loves a little bit more of a lazy day together but Mm -hmm. yeah they just want to hang out with you and that is like the most wonderful thing about it's so great I'm so grateful for that too because there's definitely times where there's a ton of snow on the ground or something and I'm like dude it's hot cocoa day oh my god yes he's fine about it (laughs) thank god I always feel for those owners who like see a snowstorm outside and they're like well my dog needs his exercise and I'm like mine will just go outside and pee and just come back in (laughs) go back to sleep it's fine. <laughs> um, I'd love to hear Dio's rescue story. So you said you got him at six months. So yes. tell me about that. Yeah. Well, I love sharing his rescue story. So I'm really excited to talk about it. He came from Philly Animal Control originally, and he was pulled by them from them by a local rescue that is a little bit closer to me. And I went to an adoption event. One of those, like, we're bringing all the dogs to the parking lot of the door and under a tent and everyone can meet them all like this big free for all sort of thing. And I had applied to this rescue and been approved for a totally different dog. And so that's who I was there to see. And she had been adopted that day before we got there to see her, which of course was fate, but I was disappointed. I wanted an older dog. Like I wanted like a two, three-year-old dog. I really, you know, to be blunt, like didn't want him. (laughs) Basically, like 
that didn't he did work. not fit your checklist he, at the he time. He didn't. He didn't. And you know, I didn't want a puppy. I didn't want a pity. Like I didn't know. You know what I mean? I had no. I was buying into stigma then too, probably, and not in a very intense way. But you know, I was like, oh, a therapy dog. What's a good fit for that? Oh, this like golden lab looking mix. That's a good fit for a therapy dog, right? So I had these blinders on, and I'm really upfront about that. You know, we all go into it that way sometimes until we know better. But my partner at the time just said, you know, I want this one. And so we went home with him. I had nothing, like was not prepared whatsoever. I just thought we were going to meet that other dog. I didn't anticipate we would be coming home with a dog at all. So I had to drop them both off and go back out to get a crate and get a bowl and a leash and like the whole thing. I got home and I had a meltdown. Like when I tell you I had a meltdown, I really truly did. I was like, we cannot do this. I cannot do this. Call the rescue. They can keep our donation. I don't care. We have to, he has to go back. He'll find a home. He's a puppy. It's fine. And as I'm having this crying meltdown, he jumps on the couch uninvited, of course, and just (laughs) puts his head on my lap and falls asleep like instantly. And I was like, all right, well, I guess. Great. Good argument. I guess yeah, we're staying. I guess, I guess this is my dog now. Right. So that's kind of, that's what happened. That's how I came to have rescued him. And he had part, he had had Parvo. He had just recovered from that when they allowed him to be available. I had no idea what that meant. I didn't know that that meant he had been quarantined for a really long time before I got him. I had no idea of the implications of that uh, at a very pivotal time in his little life. He came with a lot of a lot of baggage that I wasn't really aware of you know he put his head in my lap and so that was that (laughs) that is a very sweet story do you know so then was he a local rescue do you know he's from yeah from Philly yeah yeah he was from Philly um and I'm not that far outside of Philly and then a a rescue closer to Mm -hmm. um to to where I was living at the time had pulled him from the animal control of Philly and they just they believed that you know someone probably he was sick and probably someone probably couldn't afford to treat him which you know happens and he they did treat him and he did make it through Harvo's definitely can be a really intense experience from dogs so yeah. like we'll discuss later definitely part of you know the random bits that affect rescue dogs and can yeah. influence their behavior later right I'd love to chat about your account so tell me the story about how handlers and humans came together I also love telling the story so that's <laughs> great too um so the short version of it and I I say this a lot on my account and I you know talk about this a lot is it's really what I needed and didn't have when I was struggling with training Dio and the process of working with him, learning about him and going through reactivity issues basically. Because, you know, one of the biggest challenges that I struggled with, which it took me a while to realize was the case, was my own emotion about everything that was going on, all the things that he was doing and um, all the training we were doing and how overwhelmed I was. And I had these amazing trainers that I'm still really close to to this day. I mean, I really appreciate them so, so much. And they changed our whole trajectory, no question, but I was a wreck still. (laughs) So, you know, I didn't have anybody kind of giving me the tools to help through what I was feeling, um, what I was going through. And that wasn't their job to take that on. You know, they were working so hard to give us tools to be able to manage him. And they later on, like, as we remained close, um, they would say to me, wow, like, I really wish I could send some of my clients to you for therapy to talk about their dogs because we have, we see a lot of clients really struggling. And eventually I was like, maybe you can actually do that. <laughs> and so I really started writing a lot of this content. I started putting together a framework of how I would try to teach owners the things that I 
did to shift what I was going through and to work through what I was going through with him. Because once I made that decision to really do my own work, that's really when things changed for us. And so I just started working on it kind of behind the scenes. And I've been working on this idea for a really long time, actually, and was sort of hesitant to put it out into the world. But now I finally have, and I'm really glad that I have. I'm so glad too. I mean, it's interesting because I think like my therapy journey started kind of at the same, not at the same time as getting a dog, but like pretty concurrently. Mm. And it was pretty obvious very quickly how much dog ownership was affecting everything else around me. When I talked to my couples therapist and Dan Mm. and I are talking about chores, like the most emotional chore in our household is caring for our pets. Like it is so much more intense than just like who's doing dishes or who's cooking dinner. It becomes so much more emotionally charged because it involves like a living being that we both care about so much. Right. (laughs) Just ended up being that like, you know, a lot of the therapy tactics that I was learning through my sessions mirrored so much about dog training. Oh my gosh. (laughs) It's the parallels between them just blow my mind all the time. And when I talk to coaching clients, like dog owners that I'm working with and supporting, um, whether it's in my program or in one-on-ones or just in consult calls or anything, the thing we talk about the most commonly is the, the pie chart, right? Of the things that stress us out. How big is the slice that your dog takes up. So I always ask people that I'm like, how much of the pie chart is your dog when it comes to your emotional challenges, right? Oh my God. I need to think about that one. <laughs> like, I feel like after this, I'm just going to like build my mm-hmm. own pie chart. Cause for real, they it's, take up so much brain space, a ton of it. Every single person I talk to is like, Oh my God. It's, right. They say the same thing. Like it's a huge slice. <laughs> it's a huge piece of the puzzle, but a lot of the time, and you know, there's wonderful, amazing therapists in the world. And they probably have wonderful, amazing therapists, but they don't necessarily get the dog aspect of the situation. And so they're like, therapist is so helpful in so many ways. But when I try to talk to them about my dog, they don't really get it and they just kind of brush it off. And so I don't feel like I have a space to explore this stuff. And I don't feel like I have a space to you get the support that I need because my therapist can't really talk to me about it. And my dog trainer can't really talk to me about it because that's not their role again. Right. And there are so many just amazing dog trainers out there who are going to talk to you about it and who do support owner mental health in so many ways, which I love to see. And I love meeting those trainers, but still it's not their specialty, right? Right. Exactly. And so they're like, we need someone who does both. And then I'm like, hi, (laughs) that's where I'm trying to show up. I'm trying to show up where those two worlds collide because although it is a very specific area, it's one that has no other resources out there that give you like the concrete tools and the support in a way that understands all the sides of things. Definitely. Because I do think like dog ownership has the potential to do both. It has the potential to, you know, teach you a lot that can help you in your personal growth. Like obviously, Mm -hmm. I don't know, some of the obvious ones are like, you know, a big part of dog training to some extent is like, yes, you're going to work on better your relationship with your dog and your relationship with the Mm -hmm. dog around you, but they're a dog and you have to embrace like who they are at their core Mm -hmm. to help them make that progress. And that is something humans are so bad at doing for themselves. (laughs) We are like always looking to like make, you know, we have this like big self-help culture. We have this like big like betterment culture. And I know for me, my main struggle, even with like, you know, self-care is like my Mm 
my self-care becomes another checklist item right. that versus it's like something that, list. yes, versus yeah. something that like I'm actually living in. Mm-hmm. It means that I'm removed when I'm doing my self-care. I'm not, I'm not experiencing it or whatever. And then obviously, yeah, just, you know, understanding how big your expectations of yourself are, whether yeah. they're accomplishable, breaking things down into smaller goals, mm-hmm. all these things that like I do for my dogs. I understand and training my dogs. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, you're a lot more hesitant to do for yourself. But then obviously on the other side of it, your dog is frustrating. Your dog is hard. Yeah. You live in a space like, you know, like I said, when we started just before this interview, I decided to do some training with my dogs. I usually separate them. I decided not mm-hmm. to today. And my one of my dogs attacked the other because he has uh, resource guarding issues. And he right. just was like, F you, you don't right. get treats. So not having it. It's like, okay, now I got to get myself together for our session in the real world. And that's okay. I think that's just, you know, part of um, the journey. But it's something Mm -hmm. we can all forget, especially in an online space where the messaging is really intense about like what you should be doing. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, it definitely is. I I love that you brought that up because those moments are huge for dog owners because they can do one thing or the other. They can set us back majorly in our mindset about, you know, our progress and who our dogs are and how terrible we are as as owners. And we, we can create this really unhelpful thinking pattern around that and take that moment and just be derailed by it. Right. And say like, look, we had a setback and now everything is ruined and I don't know what I'm doing. I mean, they're right. Imagine, and all the thoughts that pop into your head, my head, other <laughs> owners' heads about those tough moments that we have with them, right? Those tough moments are going to happen. They're absolutely going to happen. But honestly, with any dog, like I don't care what you say, <laughs> it's any dog at any time. It doesn't have to just be like my reactive dog. Yeah. When you, I think you could probably speak to this better than I could, but when you have rescue dogs and they come with stuff that you are still uncovering and you're still working through and you're still figuring out together, you're, you know, you're always figuring things out together with your dogs, but they can come with a little more baggage potentially. Those moments can derail us, or we can look at them and sort of say, whoa, rough moment and take it for what it is in that context and learn from it and integrate it and balance it with other things we've been doing and progress we've been making and look at it in like a fair, accurate light, which is what I really, really try to work with people to do basically. Absolutely. And I think as humans, we can go into that derail cycle almost like more than our dogs, you know, like our dogs kind of live moment to moment and they have an incident and you can have a fresh start with them in a lot of different ways. And obviously being a human, (laughs) we like to be definitely something we should probably learn from them honestly yeah do better about that definitely well let's talk specifically about your struggles with Dio because I think (laughs) they're a great example I mean obviously reactivity is very Mm. common in rescue dogs I mean I think whether they come from a circumstance like Dio like didn't get that dog socialization because he was recovering Mm -hmm. from Parvo obviously had to be isolated or you know a lot of the rescues we get are from international locations they Mm. have a huge trip to come and then I mean I'm in Toronto it's a big city it's busy we're mm-hmm. trying to get these dogs to adapt to this environment and the overstimulation or the nervousness can trigger yeah. reactivity to dogs people squirrels noises all sorts mm-hmm. of things so yeah. why don't we talk about your journey with Dio and his reactivity him being a rescue dog and having that background that I knew about but didn't know what it meant at all I, I truly had no understanding or education around like the implications 
of his background, even though I only knew a small part of it, you know, that's a big thing. And I don't know that that's the entire reason he is the way that he is. And it's not. Yeah, Yeah, it's a part of it. Right. There's there's so many pieces of the puzzle, but I didn't even know. And seems this is a ridiculous thing to say because I should have known this, right? Just thinking about it logically, just that rescue dogs might have a harder time. Didn't even occur to me, right? I, you know, I grew up with like easy goldens that were, you know, pretty chill and I didn't train or deal with. I just had this blueprint for a dog in my head, basically. And I assumed that in for sure and correctly assumed that every dog could just like adapt to that easily and become that way. Saying it out loud just makes me sound a little ridiculous, honestly, because why, like, why would I, of course that's not true. And I have ridden horses my whole life and knew that that wasn't the case for horses. And I just didn't, I just had, blind. I think I said this before, like I had these blinders on, I had a really clear vision of what I wanted in getting a dog. And it was about me. Yeah. It was about what I wanted my rescue dog to become, which I think is potentially a pretty relatable thing. I'm sure others have been down that road too. And, you know, I don't want to judge myself or others for that because we all have to like learn and do better over time. But, you know, adjusting to figuring out reactivity and adjusting to figure out his behavioral issues that, you know, came from sort of who he is in many ways. It's, it's funny because I just legitimately didn't know what reactivity was until I got him. Like I didn't even know it was a thing. Didn't know that word. Yeah, definitely. And I think even people who, you know, have purchased dogs during COVID Mm. are experiencing a lot of heightened reactivity. I mean, I just think it's not a word we're familiar with. I know that in the, you know, I use, I see a lot of people use the word like aggression or like, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know, like implying that kind of energy towards it, but it's right. It comes from a different mindset for the dog. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and I, I think part of the problem was, you know, I didn't even know it was a problem at all initially. Like I just thought like excited or he's, yeah, I, I, I really had no idea. And he was little at the time too. Right. So when they're younger, you're kind of like, Oh, he just did the puppy. He doesn't know. I didn't know how to look for signs of things. I didn't yeah. understand all of that. So it took such a long time to even start working on it because I didn't even know it was an issue really. Mm-hmm. I knew he wasn't sort of behaving in a calm way <laughs> necessarily, but I didn't even really understand what was going on. So it took a lot of learning and like unlearning um, all the things that I like had incorrectly believed and incorrectly assumed about dogs. And yeah, and I'm sure he also grew a lot. while you had him so at first you're like oh he's a puppy he's like I can handle this whatever and then he gets bigger and bigger and you're like okay now this is a harder issue to deal with (laughs) what's happening here (laughs) exactly so I would say the first I at least four years was really really intense training management me learning me figuring stuff out we would be in socialization classes we would be doing individual work we'd be doing group classes I mean you name it because again I had a vision I wanted this dog to be a therapy dog I was like we're getting there you know we did which is awesome but now I know like it's not for him and so we don't do it but it was a lot it was a lot of work and it was very overwhelming. Do you feel like in retrospect, again, seeing that you had this goal in mind, which probably helped you like strive for something, which is yeah. like a positive thing. Yeah. How do you feel like that affected you emotionally during that period? And even maybe your bond with Dio? I love that how you put it. Like it's a, it was a positive thing for me to have this like tunnel vision towards that because it 
kept me going when I otherwise may not have been able to do that. So I was working towards this like holy grail point in our life. And that was our training goal, but probably affected so much more than I was aware of at the time, because there were for sure times that I was putting that goal before probably him or what he really needed to work on at the time. So I think about it, like my trainers, I'm sure maybe I should talk to them about this and see if they ever thought this actually. (laughs) They probably were like, "Mm, I hear that you want to train him to be a therapy dog. We see as the professionals, all sorts of other things that need to be addressed first. I was prioritizing my goal and wasn't necessarily Mm. prioritizing the things that they probably would have recommended I, I work on first, but to their credit, they probably read the situation and were like, you know what, if this is going to keep you in it, we're, you know, they still supported that hands down. They were 100% behind us on all of that. And they really encouraged me to continue going in that direction. And I'm so grateful for that because along the way, I learned more and more about training and about reactivity and about working with him. And my goal got looser and I learned more and my like understanding of him changed. So it really had me land where I should have been from the start where I focused so much on my relationship and my bond with him. And I put that first versus like, you're a robot and you're going to learn these obedience things and you know, that all that stuff, which I just, again, it came from a place of like ignorance, you know, really. And I mean, on top of that, also, obviously you put this goal kind of like before yourself. Oh yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So much. I mean, I was so fixated on it and I, you know, like I said, I was a real wreck. There's a day that stands out in my mind with him. I talk about this sometimes in like my content, but where he like ripped a leash out of my hands, like a long line, like through, like cut them in on my palms, the whole thing, like went after another dog. And that was like our dark, Mm -hmm. dark night of the soul moment (laughs) together because I spent a significant amount of time just like crying in bed after that day, just being like, and that was a couple, that was like maybe two years in. I mean, that wasn't even early, early on, right? So we had already done a lot of work and that still happened. I just really hit a wall Mm -hmm. with that. And that's when I recognized I am not well in this process and I am not taking care of myself in this process. And I'm putting all of my energy and all of my focus into him, leaving myself totally depleted, which means that. I can't really keep showing up for him in the ways that I need to. It, you know, it's sort of my responsibility to him to to take care of myself better. And um, that's kind of when I really was mindfully trying to change my mindset, work on my emotional responses and do all the things that I'm trying to teach people now. <laughs> basically. That was like the turning point moment for me. Definitely. And hey, I think it'll be <laughs> probably good to carry into the next stage of your life. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let's hope I learned this lesson because if I didn't, it's coming for me again. Kind of hey, how that works. You can definitely, you know, <laughs> you've been creating content long enough that you can be like, let me rewatch myself, tell myself right. this thing. Right. <laughs> Dear self, what does your day to day with Dio look like now? Well, right, right now, specifically, because as you mentioned, I'm carrying some some babies. So we go on shorter walks and we do them in the really early morning and late at night when it's not so hot for me. But thankfully, overall, we have a very chill routine together at this point, which again, took a lot of time to get to. And part of it is like, you know, he's, he's an like adult, you know, grown man now. (laughs) He's not, he doesn't need quite as 
as much um, as he used to in terms of like active management. So he hangs out. I love playing games with him. That's one of my favorite things to do is like find it games and the flirt, pull and tug or his absolute favorites. So we do real short walks, but we're doing a lot of enrichment stuff to kind of make up for the fact that I can't do my like four mile walk with him right now that I used to do. And sometimes we, you know, when we are walking, we see, we see dogs and um, sometimes he's amazing and he blows my mind with how perfectly he handles the pass by. And then other times, like not so much. And I can usually at this point figure out the difference between those moments and understand the context of why he struggled one time and he didn't struggle another time um and, and why he was successful or why he wasn't you know overall he just like I said he just coexists with me and I work from home doing telehealth so he's here with me all the time and again like he just kind of just wants to be with you so I try my best to work bigger adventures into his life as much as I can right now like we're gonna go like visit some you know some family family for the day or kind of get him out of his routine a little bit as much as I can. Even just how you're talking about his reactivity now, I think is like definitely associated with that change in mindset you talk about on your channel, you know, like yeah. being more reflective versus, I mean, mm-hmm. I guess like the term reactive, like of you, right. <laughs> you reacting yeah. to your dog's no, reaction. Absolutely. And right. even with me, you know, when I've had some like, you know, backtracking with bosses, resource guarding recently, mm-hmm. including the incident just before this interview, like all I can do now is be like, okay, this was a management mistake that, you know, just next time you can try and do this. Hopefully it works and you go from there. And I think that's a big part of in general, managing your own health too, figuring out what upsets you and like, Mm -hmm. you know, again, being more reflective versus like letting that emotion spiral or put you in a bad spot. (laughs) Right. He used to need so much more structure in order to have a, a really great ripple effect on his behavior. That used to be an absolute necessity for him. So when we're talking about routine, you know, there, it was a lot more regimented before than it has been in the past, like I would say three years or so I've been, I've been able to step back. I see as like really wonderful progress for both of us because he doesn't need that level of structure and management like across the board to then not be struggling with reactivity as much. And so, you know, he's really come so far. I'm so proud of like who he is as a dude, because he's just the best, but I can see how our routine now is sort of like a normal, typical, like house dog routine Yeah, versus what it used to look like, which was a lot more regimented and a lot more structured, which it needed to be. That was hugely important in the past. And so I've been able to step back a little bit from my own like intensity around that structure um, in order to, you know, have this kind of new way of coexisting. And it probably did start with me. I don't know if I could scientifically prove that, but that's okay. We don't, we don't have to do that. (laughs) That's amazing. Let's talk more about mental health and dog ownership, which are topics that I just think resonate with a lot of people right now, obviously Mm -hmm. not just when the, in the dog space with creators like yourself, but mental health has become such a bigger part of our Mm -hmm. discussion since COVID. And I'm sure everyone's dealing with their dog stuff on top of other things in their lives. Oh yeah. Uh, Absolutely. Yeah. The, I don't even know the word I want to use, like the intensity of mental health challenges related to the pandemic are just like things that we, it's like a level to which we've not seen in our field, maybe ever, you know, I've been in the mental health field for a decade and the demand and the need for therapy is unbelievable. Like Mm -hmm. it's so hard to get a therapist 
therapist and, you know, be able to access that care, which is so challenging. And then, so we have people without support that they need in this general sense. And then they're struggling with these specifics in their life, which for, you know, your audience and mine is often their dog. And then there's really no support for like those specific concerns. So it's, it's hard to feel like, you know, how do I reach as many people with these tools and skills and resources as I possibly can, knowing just like the tidal wave of need that's out there right now. Well, I think your account is a great place to get started. I mean, you know, I will say the democratization of the internet for information is amazing. Obviously, you always need to, you know, evaluate, be a thoughtful media (laughs) consumer, etc. But you know, it's great to have an account from someone like yourself who is established in your field has been working with mental health for through all of these like changes that have been Mm -hmm. going on and then can incorporate dog ownership in it. So I think that's honestly just really great to share and hopefully in this podcast to talk about in terms of your work with Mm -hmm. your clients, what uh, do you find most of your clients experience stress wise or have challenges with their mental health in terms of dog ownership? There's definitely some big ones, but I mean, it really varies, right? Just like our dog's concerns and issues vary, so do ours. So I have folks with dogs who have behavioral issues that are related to like real true aggression, like not just reactivity, you know, to separation anxiety, to, you know, there's so many things. And then what I'm seeing a lot of owners experience is a lot of that kind of what we were just talking about with the incident that you mentioned before, like that catastrophizing, right? Like, you know, making something an incident or even just the what if, you know, even if an incident didn't happen, and what if an incident does happen? Just making those thoughts explode and allowing them to kind of take over, making it mean something that it may not necessarily mean, right? Like, what if it never gets better? This was the worst thing that could have ever happened. You know, those those types of things. So a lot of dog owners, I think, get really stuck in that catastrophizing kind of mindset and myself included. I mean, I still do it even now, right? I'm preparing to bring, you know, babies into my life. And I'm like, what if Dio can't handle it? What if he does yeah. something dangerous? What, you know, and I know all of the important management things and I know all of the ways that I'm preparing him now, but still. So there's a lot of that like future what if catastrophizing mm-hmm. and then also the catastrophizing of like incidents that happen that are going to happen with dogs like ours. That's a big theme. Another big theme that I see all the time and this goes for I think probably almost all dog owners to be honest with you and like probably dog trainers too is the like I'm not good enough. I'm not doing enough. I'm not enough for my dog and that guilt and shame and judgment that we put on ourselves for not doing enough. For them. And, you know, I didn't do his enrichment today, or I haven't been able to take him to do whatever, or when he does struggle, I don't know what I'm doing to handle it. And, you know, I'm terrible. He shouldn't be with me. He deserves a better owner. Like those thoughts are huge for people that I work with. Yeah. I mean, I think we can all relate to both of those at one oh, instance yeah. <laughs> or another. So. Yeah, absolutely. So when it comes to these two issues, especially, mm-hmm. maybe we can start with those. What are some processes or like support that you can give yourself to help you balance those mental health concerns, balance your attitude, or just in general, be able to maybe deal with an incident that happens with your dog and 
not let it change your dynamic. I think the thing that applies to everyone, but honestly, rescue dog owners specifically, or like the most, is to get a handle on our expectations. Recognizing when we are holding onto expectations that are not helpful, that are not fair, that are not possible, right? That are like an unfair expectation. I fell into that trap myself. Like that's what I was talking about before, right? Like I wanted him to be this way and I expected a dog to be able to do this and that and the other thing. And I had no awareness that I was really suffering because I was holding so tightly onto an expectation of what he should be doing or what he should be like, or even just our training should be making more of an impact by now. Why aren't we where I think we should be after this eight week class or, you know, all those things. So not only our expectations of, of the dogs that we adopt and how they, we anticipate that they should behaving, be behaving in our lives, but also our expectations of ourselves as owners, our expectations of what training can do or not do. And I fell into that trap big time. And I see so many people falling into that. And part of the problem is that, like I said, we're not taking the time to reflect on that and recognize that that's what we're doing. And that sets us up every time (laughs) that I would start there, especially if you're looking to rescue. Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, I think in general, most people who want a dog come with you just automatically have so many expectations. Oh, yeah, that's obviously the media we're consuming. Of, yeah. uh, what we think dog ownership is, our friends, our families who have dogs, family dogs are a huge one in rescue. Like yes. the amount of people who, you know, come to foster and they're like, I have tons of experience. I trained my family dog. I did this. And then they're just like, what oh. the hell is this dog doing? <laughs> what is happening? Right. Yeah. Right. And it's interesting, even in general, like the lack of like, you know, education that a lot of people who have had family dogs have in terms of basic things like dog body language. Mm-hmm. Or Mm -hmm. like terminology, Mm -hmm. like you said, like you didn't know what reactivity was at all. Now I'm learning too. like, it's quite common. (laughs) It's something I've dealt with, with almost every foster I've had. I think a lot of people kind of think they know what will happen when they adopt or buy a dog and are hit with a lot of surprises. Sure. I mean, it's basically, we're telling ourselves something should be a certain way. And so if you catch yourself being like, we should be like this by now, this dog should be like that. Mm -hmm. I wish this, like those types of things, if those are popping up, then you really need to evaluate those thoughts and those expectations that you're holding because you're creating the walls that you're bumping into yourself. Yeah. And I did the same thing. Like I am speaking from a place of experience, but then also as a, and as a therapist, and like you would think that like, I wouldn't have done that <laughs> knowing better, but totally did. Absolutely. And still have to be checking in with that and adjusting that. And so I, I feel like I want to emphasize that so much for rescue owners more so than anyone else because like you said, there's all of these places that these expectations come from. It's the media we consume. It's the dog we grew up with. It's our last dog who was amazing. It's right. It's so many places, things that contribute to it and what our family tells us our dog should be doing and what our friends' dogs are like and all of this stuff. And then we rescue a dog and we don't take the time to learn who they are for, you know, just out of the gate. We're like, okay, fit my mold now, instead of just making space for them to show you who they are, be who they are, meet them where they're at. And it's easier to get a dog that's a puppy and that was bred. And you have these like expectations for those dogs too sometimes, right? Like I got this dog from this place and this breeder and they're supposed to be like this. Everyone does it, you know, to an extent. 
Honestly, yeah. And again, I don't know what it is about like our current atmosphere. I think maybe just because of the amount of dogs that are being bred and whatever. I do find that, I mean, at least in the rescue space, we're getting a lot more returns for bred dogs. Mm. It's I think there's a lot, a lot less like of that, just like easy to expect behavior. I think right. our streets are full of dogs. Like, mm. I mean, since COVID, I know that Toronto is has as many dogs as humans now. I don't know if there's anybody who doesn't own wow. a dog anymore. <laughs> So I think that also contributes to like reactivity. You're just like overstimulated because you have like five dogs in your neighborhood walking at the same time as you. Right. I just think in general, it's a good lesson for everyone because we literally decided to let in these carnivores into our homes for some reason. (laughs) I think a lot of the time, and again, there's nothing, this isn't bad and it's not a judgment. And it's something that I also experienced is we tend to get dogs for reasons that have a lot more to do with us than the dog. Right. I don't think that's inherently a bad thing. I still think that way so often. I'm like, yeah, and like, I we're, could have a not, third dog. I mean, this does not mean we're bad people or bad dog owners or, you know, anything like that. It just is sort of inherent in the ways that we see dogs fitting into our society. Right. There a lot of the time they're a lot more for us than we are for them. When you get a dog with challenges, you either struggle with that because they're not you have because you have an expectation of what they're going to be doing and they're not doing that. Or you take the hard road, which is a super rewarding one, but very challenging to be like, oops, I'm putting this out there and I need to adjust this and I need to work on this. Definitely. Do you have Mm -hmm. any tips for mindsets that you can go into when you're starting like your training journey with a professional trainer? Because I know you work with trainers as well. And obviously, like you said, trainers have told you like, be great for them to like learn how to get, (laughs) you know, learn some tips for themselves. Um, What's the best like? perspective you can have when you are either like looking for a trainer for your dog or you have Mm. one and you're about to get started on like that official like I'm working with someone to work on behavior with my dog yeah that's a great question actually um I would initially say to apply everything I just said about expectations to this process too so we're talking about expectations of our dogs but also expectations of training and what training is capable of doing in what amount of time (laughs) it's capable of achieving that right? And being open to training, being a process, being open to the fact that there's not going to be this, like we've arrived and we never need to worry about these things ever again, kind of mindset, Um, which again, I was doing, I was like, we're going to pass the therapy dog eval. And then like, my dog is good and trained and whatever. (laughs) What a, what a hilarious joke I was playing on myself, trying to think of things that way. So I would go into training just like you, you know, want to try to go into rescuing which is with that open mind and that understanding that you're committing to something that's a lot more of a process than a step-by-step thing that's going to teach you a thing to fix something or to create something that you want. What I would add to that though, is that it's okay to still have things you want to strive for, right? It's not just like, oh, we'll see where this goes. Like I'm not saying like, let go of goals or any of those things, but be really clear and, and concrete about what you want and make sure you find a trainer that makes you feel heard. That That's the number one thing is that it's the same thing as when you're sort of choosing a therapist because you should be shopping for a therapist too, finding one that's a good fit for you because one of the most impactful things about successful therapy is the relationship you have with the therapist. That is like the thing that makes the biggest difference regardless of the therapist's 
theoretical orientation or how they approach you in treatment or what they suggest you do or any of those things, your relationship with them matters more than any of that. And I think that that probably applies to the trainer that you work with as well. So if you're working with someone that doesn't make you feel heard or that makes you feel dismissed or doesn't kind of take um, into consideration the whole picture of what you and your dog are needing and bringing to the table, it's okay to reevaluate that relationship with, with that trainer and see if you can find a fit that feels more right to you. That's not to say that that person is a bad trainer because they just may not be the trainer for you. That's all. So they could be an incredible trainer for someone else who sort of fits with their personality or whatever it is, right? And you can still learn a lot from them, take from them what serves you, continue to explore other trainers that make, make you feel like the support that you need. I love that advice. I think training is very personal and it's like, we've talked about this whole session, like a lot about your emotional state, your commitments, your habits, and Mm -hmm. everyone is going to be at a different step of the journey there. So having a trainer who's there along the way to help you be at your level, understand that your life is busy and that like, how can I fit this into my day? Like, I think that's kind of the hardest part of starting a training journey is just like, you feel like you have to do everything, Mm -hmm. but you can't. (laughs) Yeah, of course. I do talk to trainers about that in like the the work that I do with them is helping, helping them craft training approaches that help clients like be able to achieve them. Right. Because they may not be able to do all all the things that we want them to do, right? It's just not feasible. So what can we help the clients do? How do we meet the clients where they are with those types of things? And I've had I've had several trainers over the course of my life with DO. I've gotten so much out of each of those training experiences. None of them are bad trainers. I didn't go to diff- a different one because they weren't good or weren't helping us. I went to different people because I wanted different perspectives. People that I worked with along the way were better fits for where we were at the time. Right. So it's just like, Oh, like I've kind of like gotten what I need from this. And now I'm going to like try to work with this person on other things. So it's about really, really listening to yourself and listening to your dog and how things are going and understanding that it's okay to try someone new, make sure you're feeling like you're getting what you need from it. Good advice. And I think just something for people to keep in mind um, as they start that process, because it's definitely it's emotional taxing. (laughs) Oh yeah. A lot of energy (laughs) goes into this. Absolutely. And like you've said with your journey, like it can be years, it can like really, and I mean, it can also be on and off. Like with us, I think it's like, you know, we take a few months to take it easy and then we have to get back up a few months. And like, I think that's how training is going to go. Our dogs are growing and their Mm -hmm. issues are going to change over time as well. Like as they get older and change environments and things happen. We're in that right now too, right? Like Dio hasn't been created in either literally can't tell you how long he doesn't need it he has not needed it for a long time and he never disliked the crate he's always fine with it thankfully it was never like a drama but he just doesn't need it and so it's been packed away in the basement for several years now and that now i'm like huh maybe crating is something we should uh just Re- reintroduce yeah. into our life that is about to change very dramatically and maybe that skill is something we should brush up on because it's going to be an important piece if we need it now the crates back out we're working you know, with it again and all of those things because our life is shifting and changing. And that's, 
that's the piece that I want to emphasize. Like training is a process. It's not like, hi, this is my trained dog who's perfect and done, right? It's just, it's a lifelong thing because our relationships with them are lifelong and they're a huge part of our life and integrated with us. I think the creating one is such a good example. (laughs) Oh, okay. I'm going back to work or I'm going to be out of the house more often. Let me start up this training again because it might help them suit themselves a little bit easier. I will say the first day it came back out, he definitely gave me this look like, what's that doing here? (laughs) I thought we were done. (laughs) He looked at it very suspiciously and sort of like slunk towards it to sniff it instead of like, he used to be like, oh my great. All right. You know, like real enthusiastic. And it really only took a very short time for him to get back to like, oh, right. This thing, that's fine. But initially it just cracked me up because I've never seen a more like human reaction from him than looking at me like, what is this? Why is this up here? It was just so funny. Is there anything else we wanted to touch on? Um, I just want to like emphasize one other sort of tip thing. Mm. And to me, this applies to all dog owners, but I think again, really specifically to someone who's rescued, you know, especially a dog who might have come with some challenges that you didn't anticipate that you really can have the like joyful connection with your dog, even if, and even during the challenging time that is like always available to you. Um, doesn't feel that way, right? Because we get really stuck in like, this is so hard. Everything is so challenging. It's exhausting. And it really is, you know, I'm not taking that away because believe me, I get it, but you can fill your cup without them. And you can fill your cup with them in a way that, you know, allows you to have those like warm, fuzzy feelings that you wanted from having a dog to begin with. That doesn't have to be canceled out because there are behavioral issues going on. And I think I really needed to hear that when I was struggling a lot with him because I think we do get easily frustrated. Like I rescued this dog and I didn't know all of these things were going to be coming along with it. Right. And so you can still have the fun with them and the fulfilling relationship with them at the same time that things can be hard, right? Both things can be true at the same time. And you don't have to have like met these benchmarks of training or obedience or whatever it is to enjoy your dog. You can find ways to enjoy each other regardless of what's going on. Not easy, yeah, but possible. And it just might not look like you thought it was going to, right? It might just look, you might need to take cues from your dog or ask your trainer how you can bond better with them and all those things and take the intensity out of it sometimes and take a step back from training sometimes lower the stakes to just like be with them I do want to just put that out there as a reminder for like rescue dog owners because we didn't necessarily sign up for it but like we also <laughs> kind of did we yes. just didn't know it <laughs> so, it's so true yeah. the first time it happens you're like oh right. and then you know with your future dogs you can kind of be like now I know what to oh, yeah. expect and that like helps right. a lot yeah I definitely love what you said because I think also this comes again with our discussion about expectations. Like we expect the connection with our dogs to look a certain way. And that is not necessarily what most dogs like actually are like, you know, a lot of dogs are like super cuddly and, Mm -hmm. you know, you want to spend all your bonding time cuddling them, but sometimes you got to 
for their own sake, like hold back. Like that's a big part of training too, of like maybe just focusing on giving them like more solo time so they can like enjoy being alone. Or obviously if you have a dog who's, you know, maybe has like a bite history or resource guarding and an incident happens, I think it's so easy to get like swept up and like not feeling like that bond, like feeling that that bond is different when to your dog. I don't think it is, you know, it's just, it's just a different like way of them for expressing themselves. It's not like hatred or anger or, you know, aggression isn't like what we think it is as well. Yeah. I've talked to a couple of people who have struggled with expectations around um, their feeling like their dog loves them because their dog maybe isn't a cuddly dog. And so they're really fixated on that looking a certain way. And then on top of it, their dog has some behavioral challenges, right? Which makes it really hard because they want the fulfillment from their dog to snuggle with them. And that's what they're seeking. And they're not getting that fulfillment and their dog is really challenging and kind of exhausting for them. So I try to help people remember that your dog can be showing you that in a lot of other ways. And again, I'm not a trainer and I'm not an expert on body language or any of those things, but we can, as humans, expand our ability to recognize that maybe our dog is showing us those things, or maybe there are ways to access really connected, fun, joyful moments with them that just maybe don't look exactly like we thought they were going to, but are just as important and impactful. And those things are going to help fill our cup as owners to like kind of stay in it for the long haul and get through the tough moments because we have that balance with that connection that we're seeking. Just because things are hard and just because there's behavioral stuff, just because you rest you a dog that came with stuff that you didn't expect them to doesn't mean you can't feel connected to them at any time. You just have to learn how to do that. And I do think trainers can be really amazing resources for figuring that out. And so maybe that might be something to to bring up to your trainer. Yeah, hundred percent. I think um, there's also so many ways of like training that I'm learning about. I think we talked about this last time, like play based training to like sure, build your yeah. re- work on your relationship first. If that's something right. you, like you prioritize versus like right. what we think of just training. Sometimes again, the expectations that trainings like teaching sit and paw, and yeah, yeah, whatever. Like if your quote unquote problem with your dog is like you mm-hmm. want a way to like learn how to bond with your dog better that's something trainers can definitely mm-hmm. help you provide and you can right. also just like I don't know kind of like see what your dog enjoys doing and do mm-hmm. more of that with them right and it's a good way to and you know I'm going to bring this in because this is my jam but it's it that's a good way to bring in our own mindset work yeah. right to challenge our expectations that we're holding our dogs to and challenge the thoughts that we're having about them and about our process and our journey because you know that's really a big part of the puzzle too. And it's not just about like, how can I learn the play games with them and all the different bonding? Those are super important. But if you're looking at it from a way that's unfair or inaccurate, none of that's going to matter if your mindset about it is also not where it needs to be. Yeah, because you need to so, like go and play with your dog and enjoy doing that. Right. Or it's not going to actually do right. the bonding right. that you want it to do. Like if you're yeah. hyper analyzing your bonding, I'm pretty mm-hmm. sure your dog can probably tell that you're not like. <laughs> probably. <in it>. Right. <laughs> Right. So that's, it's great because it's work you can do with them and for them that will benefit them. And it's also work that you can do 
internally that's going to benefit you and shift your perspective on your relationship with them and your life with them in a way that I just think is going to have like the best positive ripple effect possible. And I mean, the best thing about, it's weird to say, but the best thing about having a dog with behavioral issues is honestly through your journey together. I just think that bond is (laughs) unlike, no offense to people with perfect dogs, is unlike (laughs) anything else. Like I just think you have, I just think like, you know, you have a really deep relationship with that dog if I've gone through that journey together. I would agree 100%. And there are definitely people that I talk with now who are really in it, like it's early on for them. And they're, they're sort of where we were. And I'm sitting here like, I wouldn't change this. I wouldn't go back and trade this for anything. I'm grateful for his reactivity. I'm grateful for the dog that I ended up with um, that day in the parking lot of the adoption event under the tent. And you love that you made that impulsive decision, even though at the time you were like, like, what did I do? Which is so like really the opposite of who I am as a person, by the way, like you have no idea. Like I would never, it's unheard of for me to make an impulsive decision. But I did. I wouldn't change him. I wouldn't wish that reactivity away. I wouldn't change any part of our journey. And I'm super, super grateful for it for so many reasons. And I totally understand that people who are like in year one or two of this challenge, look at me or even year 10, you know, sometimes like it doesn't have to be like, sometimes it's, you know, it's, it can be lifelong and it is for us too, to an extent, but look at me like, I can't be grateful for this. I really get that. And there are days even now where I'm not like, we had a really rough walk last week, real rough. I won't even get into it. I understand. It was was a moment and I was like, man, (laughs) that was really, really tough on me. And it was really tough on him. So there are moments where I, you know, don't, not feeling all glowy and grateful necessarily, but overall, I totally agree that having a dog with behavioral issues changed a lot about my life um, for Mm -hmm. the better. Oh, I love that. So what are some tips you could give dog owners to help them balance their mental health uh, with their dog ownership? Please do things without your dog sometimes. That's that's the tip. Honestly, we really become understandably hyper fixated on working with them, living with them and managing them and putting all of our energy into our dogs. And it's super easy to forget to just like go for a walk and not have to worry about reactivity and get outside and not have to worry about scanning the horizon for dogs and making sure that you're in a safe place for them and all that. They're going to be okay. If you go for a walk without them, for example, or if you you know, go hang out with your friends and, you know, only do a little bit of something with them that day. Like it's going to be all right. And it's very, very important for you to do that and to not allow so much like of yourself to be consumed, right. By what you're going through. And I really understand why we do that. And it's very important for us to put as much energy as we can into our work with them, but not at the expense of ourselves. It's good for everybody to take a break. Yeah. And almost like you said, like you have other relationships that are so important to you. Like, hey, I love my dogs, but they can't listen to me rant about work. Like, really? I need to do that with my friends and maybe do that without like also having to monitor dogs on a patio or... I was just going to say that, like go to the outdoor dining without them and like just enjoy being there and doing that without being like, but I really want my dog to be that perfect patio dog right now. And just, it's okay. You can still work up to that. You can still work on that but sometimes you might just need to go and do that and enjoy that for yourself yeah definitely amazing so I'd love to hear 
about your coaching sessions, especially if some of my readers might be interested in working with you a little bit more closely than just following yeah. and engaging with your posts. <laughs> Yeah, I have two kind of ways to to work with me right now as as a dog owner. One would be individual coaching sessions. So I'm always available for sessions or session packages to work with people on um, anything that comes up with them emotionally related to their dogs. So we can really weave in the concrete skills and kind of emotional support that you need while also talking about that in a context that is very specific and that I do understand exactly what it is that you're going through with them. So individual work is one option. And the other option is um, my coping with canines program. So that is a hybrid program. And by hybrid, I mean, it's partially like an online course, which is self-paced. You can work through it as quickly or as slowly as you want. It's broken down into bite-sized pieces, but there is a ton of information in there and there's a ton of skills. So it's going to teach you how to work on those expectations. It's going to teach you how to work on your mindset, how to literally physically cope with like your emotional regulation in the moment. And some other cool pieces are also how to cope with the social stigma stuff that comes up from like family, friends, and strangers when you have a reactive dog and all of the ways that they judge us and how to, you know, how to just manage that better. Cause that can be really hard and really isolating. Also talk a lot about that sort of accessing joy and bonding at the end of that program too. So there's videos and worksheets in that self-paced program. And what makes it kind of hybrid is it has a social support component to it. We have a private Facebook group that other owners who are going through things that you're going through or similar things that you're going through are posting in there, asking questions, getting support, celebrating one another, getting to know each other's dogs, all those things. And there's kind of coaching from me all the time in there because I'm responding to posts and kind of giving my input. And we also do a monthly Zoom call for anybody who can make it. So there's a monthly coaching call that's included as well as like a bonus to the program. So there's this social community support and kind of ongoing coaching support from me in that program. And you can work on the skills on your own and learn a ton about how to work through this stuff just from the course piece of it itself. That's amazing. I mean, first of all, everybody learns differently. So it's great to yeah. have three different ways of doing it. And I've had this experience, thankfully, through volunteering and rescue, like getting a lot of support that way. And I think there's nothing more important than building community with other yeah. dog owners going through right. the same thing. Yeah, I wanted it to be a space where like, there's tons of amazing like reactive dog community supports right online. Um, but I wanted this to be a place where it was owners not just talking about like training advice, like what should I do about this or what have you done about this or just venting, which are all valid, important things. But everyone who's joining Coping with Canines wants to work on themselves just as much as they're working through the training process. And they understand that their part in things plays a huge role. And so they're all working on learning those skills and implementing those skills um, with themselves, with their dogs. And so everyone can support each other in this like very specific way that people can remind one another, like, okay, like, it sounds like, you know, the way that you're looking at that might not be so accurate. Like, let's talk about that. Or, you know, there's, it's a really specific kind of support, which I think is cool. Yeah, that's amazing. So I understand that you've got a special promotion going on for our listeners. Uh, so why don't we go ahead and share it with everybody? Yeah. So 10% off of the Coping with Canines program can go through the end of 2022. So if you use code rescue dog love at your checkout, so we would love to have you join. Amazing. I'll definitely include all that in the link in bio as well as the show notes. Thank you. 
And yeah, let's uh, share your accounts as well. So yep, you can find me on Instagram primarily at, uh, at handlers and humans. And my website is handlersandhumans.com. Amazing. This was a great discussion. Thank you for yes. having with me again. Absolutely. Um, I think this will be really, really helpful for a lot of our listeners. So thank you for sharing your own story. And then obviously just talking broadly about what you're experiencing through your work. Yeah. Thank you. All right. Bye. Thank you. Rescue Dog Love is a project by Yamini Cohen, inspired by her rescue dog boss, who you can find on Instagram with his doggy sibling, Queenie, at Queenie and Boss. To keep up with the Rescue Dog Love podcast, you can follow us at rescuedoglove.com or at rescuedoglovepod on Instagram. See you next time.